Let me say at the outset, there is, and I just confess to you that my head is swimming, that there's just so much to cover, and there's just so much that is worth covering that we won't be able to cover tonight. Uh, a, few day, a few days ago, uh, Frank Lynch offered to present uh, briefly on um, some of the re- recent legal news in regard to gender issues and the transgender stuff uh, in our country. That would have been very helpful and beneficial, and that is something that I can't speak to with, um, you know, uh, with a lot of expertise, uh, but I never got back with him about that, and so he's not prepared to do that, and we may not even have time for that. So that's just one element of this whole discussion that we won't be getting into tonight, but, but that would be very beneficial for us. Um, let me be, just begin with some questions. What does it mean to be a man? And, and I don't want you to chime in on these questions. We'll just let them sort of linger a bit. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Those are pretty big questions. And we might could answer accurately in a number of ways. And in our culture today, there would also be a lot of inaccurate answers. Uh, here's another question. What is it that makes you think you are a man? Or what is it that makes you think you are a woman? And in our society, in our culture, answers to these questions are all over the map. Uh, Clearly, I think we can all agree that there is much confusion in our culture when it comes to gender identity. And I'm thinking about my own experience and witnessing this in my own life. Uh, my, as I was preparing this, my mind went back several years ago, over 20 years ago. We went on a trip. My family went on a little vacation to Atlanta and stayed in a hotel uh, in downtown Atlanta. And um, we get on the elevator. I was, you know, a pretty small child. And on come three or four, a handful of men, clearly grown men, uh, who are in women's clothing and dresses. Come to find out, there, there was some sort of convention going on in the hotel in Atlanta that same weekend that we were vacationing, some sort of cross-dressing. I don't know, I don't, really don't know what the title of it was, but that was very confusing for me uh, as a young child to see that. I'm sure I had some questions for my parents. I don't remember that conversation, but I do remember that moment very vividly because that was surprising and shocking and confusing. Uh, here's another little story, much more recent one. I was at the church building in the office, and uh, the doorbell rang. We get a lot of folks coming through here who are asking for help in various ways. And I go to the door, and there's two individuals standing there, what appears to be a mother and a child, a grown child, a grown female child. I begin speaking with these two, and the child appears to me, I, I, you know, I think this person looks very masculine, has a lot of masculine features, but the person introduced themselves uh, as Kristen. And so I continued to talk and converse and kind of get their story. When the mother starts speaking, she begins to refer to her child with male pronouns. And so I start to wonder, you know, what's going on here? 
And at the end of our conversation, I loop back around and I say, now could you tell me your names one more time? The mother shared her name. And the child said, I'm Kristen. Well, actually, my legal name, my given name is Kenneth. A lot of confusion in our culture in regard to gender identity. And that happened in little old Winchester, Tennessee. And I know that our young people at the high school encounter other young people who are very much confused uh, in regard to their gender, who are struggling uh, with gender identity issues. These guys experience it on a more day-to-day basis than many of us, than I do. Uh, Although many of you adults experience it more than I do in your workplace, where there are various guidelines in regard to how to treat folks um, when it comes to these types of issues, gender. And, you know, a lot of our big corporations, there's a lot of rules and regulations about gender discrimination and, and being sure that we are treating tra- transgender people with, the, with proper respect. So, you know, there's just a lot out there. Uh, a lot of confusion, a big push as we're, about to, as we're about to talk about. What I want to do is revisit some big news stories from the last years concerning gender. And it just seems like this whole thing has picked up a full head of steam in just the last five years. Just in terms of the, the number of stories, big headline stories that we've seen on, on the news. Uh, how about, I'll take you back to... We'll begin here with Bruce Jenner, uh, or Caitlyn Jenner. In a 2020 interview with ABC's Diane Sawyer in April 2015, this was not that long ago, but boy, to me now, it seems like it was a long time ago, if you think about everything that has happened since then. Uh, In an interview uh, with ABC News, Bruce Jenner came out as a transgender woman, He said he had dealt with gender dysphoria since his youth. uh, And that, well, Diane Sawyer in the interview said, are you a woman? Which we could talk about the the silliness and foolishness of that question. But Bruce Jenner answered with this, for all intents and purposes, yes, I am a woman. Now, I want to go ahead and pause here to define some terms Because in this presentation, I want to do my very best to use proper clinical terminology. And I borrowed one of Alex's textbooks since he's going to school over at Harding uh, to get a counseling degree. And I I knew he had a good resource that I could refer to. So I want to use the proper language here. And some of you might say, well, you know, we we don't need to mince words. We don't need to be too politically correct. But I believe if we're going to have a dialogue with our greater culture, If we're going to engage with people on this issue, then we need to learn how to speak the language. And using uh, terminology that is careful and um, accurate is not mutually exclusive with using words that are truthful. I think we can do both at the same time. And so, according to this textbook that I referred to, uh, Essentials of Abnormal Psychology, which that should go ahead and tell you something. That this, these descriptions are in a textbook, not a Christian textbook, but a pretty standard textbook, as I understand it. 
for students in psychology and counseling programs. Abnormal psychology. That should tell you that these issues, is not something to be celebrated, but something to be concerned about. So, gender dysphoria uh, is present if a person's physical sex, male or female anatomy, also called natal sex, N-A-T-A-L, is not consistent with the person's sense of who he or she really is or with his or her experienced gender. So there's a disconnect between what I am anatomically, biologically, and what I believe myself to be in my heart or in my head. That is gender dysphoria. Uh, What I believe I am doesn't match up with what I am anatomically. While gender dysphoria can occur on a continuum, at the extreme end of the continuum are individuals who reject their anatomy or their biological sex altogether and wish to change it. People with this disorder will often say, I feel trapped in a body of the wrong sex. Now, those at the extreme end, we would call transgender people, uh, which is the T in LGBTQ. We hear a lot about the LGBT, now often referred to with the Q on the end, the the LGBTQ community, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and either queer or questioning. Uh, A transgender woman is someone whose physical or natal sex is male but believes they are woman. So we would call Bruce or Caitlyn Jenner a transgender woman. A transgender man is someone whose physical or natal sex is female but believes they are a man. So a famous example of a transgender man, the first one that came to my mind, is Chastity Bono. Some of you will remember her the only child of Sonny Bono and Cher, a daughter, uh, who would often appear on their variety show when she was a small child. She, went under, she underwent gender reassignment surgeries between 2008 and 2010 and became Chaz uh, Bono. So, with those terms sort of defined for us, so we're all on the same level playing field and we know the language that we are using, Uh, Let's go back to some other big news stories. How about the gender-neutral bathroom debate? Here's the New York Times on May 12, 2016. The Obama administration is planning to issue a sweeping directive telling every public school district in the country to allow transgender students to use the bathrooms that match their gender identity. A letter to school districts will go out Friday adding to a highly charged debate over transgender rights in the middle of the administration's legal fight with North Carolina over the issue. You remember this debate that raged, uh, that continues uh, to rage. And the Obama administration's very controversial uh, directive to every public school district in the country stating that. Uh, How about the Boy Scouts controversy? This is from a CNN article uh, last fall, October 12, 2017. The 107-year-old organization Boy Scouts of America announced Wednesday that younger girls will be allowed to join Cub Scouts and that older girls will be eligible to earn the prestigious rank of Eagle Scout. The group that was most angry about that, the Girl Scouts, because they were like, y'all are going to steal all our people. Um, Now, this decision could be read in a couple ways. Is this 
simply an example of an institution becoming more welcoming to both genders, male and female. Sort of like Augusta National Golf Club opening its membership to women a few years ago for the first time. Or is it a not-so-subtle rejection of gender differences? It seems to me like the latter. And we could also include here the controversy at the University of Tennessee surrounding gender-neutral pronouns. You remember this? Uh, The decision by Target to allow its customers. uh, We don't have to single Target out here. There are many, many, many other retail stores that have made similar decisions. But Target notably allowed its customers uh, a couple years ago to use restrooms corresponding with their gender, gender identity. Uh, and many, many more examples that we could share. But I want to stop right here and take a dive beneath the surface and talk about some big trends in our culture in regard to gender that are spawning many of these stories that we've read about. Because this stuff isn't just happening in a vacuum. It's not coming out of nowhere. You know, these events are inspired by a, a bigger movement, a big change in thinking, a lot of other factors. So let me share three um, trends that are spawning a lot of these stories we've read about. But one is, we've already referred to it um, in passing, a growing belief that sex and gender are not synonymous. That your anatomical sex and your true gender are not one and the same. That is a belief that is driving... um, a lot of this stuff, that, that biological sex doesn't always correspond with one's true gender identity. And we'll be responding to all of this in kind momentarily. Here's another, uh, here's another trend. There is a growing belief that, that different gender roles and interests are not biological but are culturally conditioned. So they, they are not innate in us. Um, who we become in regard to our gender, is completely controlled by our culture and by our raising. Uh, In other words, traditional, what we might call traditional male behaviors, traditional female behaviors, none of those result from nature but from nurture. So none of that is from birth, none of that is about how we are made, it all comes from the way we, we are brought up. The family we're brought up in, the culture we're brought up in, so forth. And number three, another culture... Another trend in our culture, a rejection of what we would call gender binarism, that there's a binary thinking when it comes to gender. On one side you have male, on another female. There is a growing push to sort of reject that that, uh, two-gender system. Uh, The classification of gender into two distinct categories, male and female. There's more of an embrace now of gender variety, of gender fluidity, that maybe there's more than two genders, or there is no gender at all. Uh, There's just a general blurring of gender lines uh, in our culture. And you see this in many different places. I heard about a gender-neutral clothing store called Fluid, which is, you know, a um, a play on this this term gender fluidity, uh, where there's no there's no clothes for male, no clothes for there's not a, a men's section and a women's section. You know, you go in and you just have 
clothes for all. Uh, And maybe some of you have seen cosmetic commercials that now feature males uh, wearing makeup. And a lot of our cosmetic companies are embracing uh, gender equality, maybe we, we would say. But these are examples of sort of the blurring of gender. Now, let's go back to this thought, uh, this uh, topic of gender dysphoria. Remember, that was someone who believes their physical sex is not consistent with their true gender identity. What might cause someone to experience that? Well, we're going to address that question from a, Christ, from a Christian perspective uh, in a little bit, but I want to go ahead and share that Based on this textbook that I was looking at, this standard text about abnormal psychology, scientists and researchers don't know what causes this. Uh, In fact, the writers of that book says, research has yet to uncover any specific biological contributions to gender dysphoria or alternative gender experience for that matter. So they have not found any sort of genetic um, predisposition to gender dysphoria. That is not. This textbook, I think, is copyright 2016. I I haven't heard otherwise. Uh, They do say, although it seems likely that a biological predisposition will be discovered, they believe that that will eventually be discovered. And so my question now is, what if that predisposition is discovered? You know, is that a game changer? If there is some sort of genetic factor involved in some people becoming confused about their gender identity, uh, it's not a game changer. I don't believe that it is. Let me borrow an argument about homosexuality that I think works in this case too. Even if genetic or hormonal factors are shown to influence people in the direction of, for instance, transgenderism, Such data do not justify living a transgender lifestyle. Listen carefully to this next statement, because I think it's important in regard to homosexuality. It's true in regard to to gender identity. Predisposition toward a certain type of behavior does not necessitate or legitimize that behavior. Let me read that again. Predisposition toward a certain type of behavior does not necessitate or legitimize that behavior. So even if you are predisposed to acting a certain way, that doesn't justify you acting that way. So even if there is some genetic link that is found, I don't think our position changes. I don't think it affects us one iota. Now, whatever the reasons uh, for this phenomenon of gender dysphoria, it is real. There are people who struggle with it. It's out there. And we don't exactly know why, or do we? Because what I want us to do now is, I want us to talk about what the Bible has to say to all this. Because that's why we're here tonight. As God's people, as Bible-believing Christians, you know, we see all this stuff out there. Maybe we struggle with how we ought to Uh, respond not in just ways that are truthful, but in ways that are helpful and and beneficial. We don't just want to make a point. We want to make a difference. You know, we want to argue and we want to discuss and engage in ways that are effective, in ways that might actually 
uh, influence somebody. So how does God's word speak to all this stuff? Uh, Well, get ready for a whirlwind tour. Here we go. Let's start all the way at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I mean, this is the first text that came to my mind in preparing this lesson. When we read in the creation narrative, in verse 27, sort of a summary verse here. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. This is the phrase I want us to focus on. Male and female, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I was talking to somebody about this lesson, um, and they said, you know, this lesson really could be short, really short. There's male and there's female. Good night. You're dismissed. Uh, but we've, we've got to go deeper than that. We, we've got to, um, you know, we've got to know how, how to best respond to all this stuff in our culture. But this spells it out for, for us quite clearly. Male and female, he created them. So we learn from that, that that gender is not a construct that is forced upon us by our culture. No, from the beginning there was male and female. God has woven a two-gender system into the fabric of creation. It's not something that we made up. It's not something that came from our culture. Uh, It is something that God ordained. It's part of God's beautiful, perfect design. Male and female, he created them. Now, as you know, in Genesis 3, uh, paradise didn't last very long. Adam and Eve rebelled against God, casting all of humanity into a fallen state. We We experience the effects of this still today. One of the consequences of the fall is, according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, ongoing strife between men and women in the marriage relationship. So God created male and female, men and women, a man and a woman, to live in this healthy give-and-take marriage relationship in which the the male takes the the, the lead and the woman uh, submits to that and it it is just uh, a beautiful dance. Well, the fall messed that up, uh, according to Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, he said, uh, skip down to the second part, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So introduced into this relationship is now tyranny and manipulation and uh, domineering attitudes. What this verse means is, in other words, the woman's willing submission to the man would be replaced with a struggle for power, a power struggle in the marital relationship. Additionally, the man's self-giving love and leadership would be changed into domineering control. So it's no longer a a, a godly leadership. It's now uh, ruling with an iron fist. That uh, That is the result of sin entering into the world, specifically into the marriage relationship. Now, I think we sometimes fail to acknowledge the all encompassing devastation. Uh, that sin has created in our world. Paul says that even in Romans 8.22, even the creation groans under the weight of sin's curse. I mean, sin has devastated, it has broken our world. 
uh, to a degree that we can barely imagine. Even our natural world, says Paul, even our bodies are impacted by the epidemic of sin. Now since gender confusion or gender dysphoria is inconsistent with God's original intention, because you look at what God originally intended, male and female, He created them, and then you look today, at all those who are confused, am I male, am I female? I don't feel like my biological sex lines up with my gender identity. What all of this makes me conclude is that this confusion arises from sin's corruption. And if you're somebody, and maybe we have somebody in the house tonight who has struggled with their gender identity, or if you're thinking of somebody you know who struggles, you know, I am not coming down on them any harder than I would any of us. Because sin has affected all of us in different ways. But we as Christians need to be able to call a spade a spade. That is the work of sin in your life. I know the various ways that I am tempted to sin, the various ways that I have fallen short. And this it is not picking out a group of people and condemning them more harshly than anybody else. It's just speaking the truth. When we say that that confusion in you is not something that comes from God, it's not a clue to your true identity, it is the result of, of sin and how sin has broken our world and, and how sin has brought brokenness to us. Uh, Confusion about gender is not due to an evolutionary fluke or a divine mistake. It's rooted in the fall of humanity and human brokenness. Humans were made male and female in the beginning, but the fall has stirred up confusion about gender identity, about gender roles, about gender relationships. Listen to this quote. One writer says, Sin causes profound alienation, first and foremost from God. We talk about that a good bit how sin separates us from God. But we're also alienated from ourselves. What was meant to be whole and integrated, our mind, body, and spirit is now deeply fractured. We don't feel aligned in ourselves. So this doubt about whether or not I'm male or female, this comes from the brokenness that sin brings, the alienation that it brings that we feel not just with God, but with others and even within ourselves. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament when the ministry of Jesus reverses the effects of the fall. Jesus is depicted as one who has come to reverse the curse of sin. Now it's important to note that the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, it doesn't just erase gender differences. It doesn't just say male and female no longer matter. Jesus um, restores the respective gender roles that were established at creation and He makes them as God originally intended them to be. And so in the New Testament, in marriages, so to speak, uh, in, in marriages to begin with, husbands, according to Paul in Ephesians 5, husbands are to lovingly lead their wives and wives are to respect and submit to their husbands. So these gender differences remain in the new covenant under Christ. Christ doesn't wipe them away. He reestablishes them as they were originally intended by God. 
And men are to lead in the church, in the public assembly of the church, while there are limitations on women in this regard, according to 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. And so gender differences remain with us from Old Testament to New. And Jesus doesn't just say they're no more. Uh, He reestablishes them. So, I believe the Bible establishes the following. That there are two genders. That they correspond with our biological sex. That those are one and the same. Uh, And that there are innate gender differences. That doesn't just come from nurture, not from culture. There are... There are differences within us. Uh, And there are different God-given gender roles. Well, some might say, maybe no no one here tonight, but some are going to say, what about those people, those poor people, who feel that they have been trapped inside a body of the wrong sex? Isn't living as a transgender person, living according to to what they believe their true... gender identity is, and maybe even eventual gender reassignment surgery, isn't that the only way for them to live a fulfilled life? Well, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And the first is this. The notion that we should make life choices based on our feelings is, as you know, unchristian, unbiblical, and very dangerous. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now that flies in the face. That contradicts sharply all the people in our culture who say, follow your heart. Let your heart be your guide. The Bible says your heart will lead you astray. Do not trust your heart. Do not trust your thoughts. Do not trust your feelings. I think about all the Proverbs that begin with, there is a way that seems right to a man, but how do all those end? That way leads to death. That way leads to destruction. It seems so right. It seems like the way that I should go. But it will not end well for you. And remember how the New Testament warns of how easy it is for us to deceive ourselves. We can so easily deceive ourselves ourselves self-deception is real we must be on guard against it we've got to root our decisions into something that is more authoritative more trustworthy than our feelings and i'm afraid that this is just an offshoot a, a, a symptom of a culture that says if that's what you feel that you should do then you should do it this is just another example of that line of thinking that line of reasoning that is so pervasive and so unbiblical. Another thought that I have, I, I am concerned, and I bet you are too, that this argument, that this argument that people should be allowed to live out their true self, their, their true gender identity, is increasingly being made for very young children in addition to adults. I'm seeing more and more stories of parents who have decided to raise their kids in a gender-neutral sort of way, avoiding, you know, giving them gender-specific toys. We're not going to give them dolls. We're not going to give them Tonka trucks. We're going to dress them very neutrally, and we're just going to let them sort of decide what they are, who they are. 
Um, very young children in our culture are being encouraged to explore and experiment with their gender identity. There was a story that ran on the Today Show just a couple days ago. Some of you may have seen it. About a 10-year-old boy who enjoys cross-dressing. Uh, he calls himself the drag kid instead of drag queen. Um, NBC News' Kate Snow, in an interview with this boy, asks him these questions. Are you transgender? To which he responded, no. Do you identify as gay? To which he responded, yes. When did you come out? And to that he responded, from the moment I was born. What 10-year-old kid is ready to answer questions such as these? about sexuality. What do his parents have to say about it? Uh, they were also interviewed. And to her credit, Kate Snow, the NBC News reporter, asked them some pretty tough questions. What did they say? It's his life. It's his life. At 10 years old, you are allowing a child to make decisions about gender and sexuality? Uh, we've gotten this backwards. And we are allowing children to lead the way. And in many cases, children even younger than 10. Six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds. Some kids who can't even tie their shoelaces or write their own name are being allowed to make decisions in regard to their gender and their sexuality. Have we lost our minds? Yes, I do believe we have. I mean, I keep thinking that in many years to come, people are going to look back at us and think, those people were crazy. They were nuts. What were they thinking? Kids don't know what is best for them. And if you're in the house and you're 10 or 11, I love you and I respect you. But listen, when I was 10 or 11, I didn't know what was best for me. It should be the older, wiser adults who are leading the children, not the other way around. And there are many stories of adults. that You can find articles out there. Adults who say when they were younger, they were a bit confused. They wanted to be a different gender, but that it was just a phase. And they are so thankful they didn't have parents or a culture that was pushing them to make a decision about their gender identity or about gender reassignment surgery. And there are also reports that have shown that the increase in gender reassignment surgeries in, in our country and beyond has been followed by an increase in patient regret over having those surgeries. One doctor has performed several reversal surgeries uh, for patients who experienced high levels of depression and even suicidal thoughts after they underwent gender reassignment surgeries. Now some might say, well that's because of the cruel treatment that they faced after they decided to live their true self. Uh, after they decided to live out their true gender identity. But I would say it's because the change that they so wanted didn't bring the satisfaction that they expected that it would. And so they regret it. So living as a different gender, or changing your anatomical gender, or rejecting outright that there are two genders, is not the answer for those who experience gender dysphoria. It's not. Now, we are just about out of time. 
But I want to share with you three things. This is kind of an under, underdeveloped section here. But just three thoughts. Uh, and, and goodness gracious, I mean, I've been talking for 40 plus minutes and we have just skimmed the surface of this stuff. But hopefully this has been a good introduction, a good primer, some good food for thought as we go back out into the world. Um, my question here, how should the church respond to the gender confusion in our culture? Three things I want to share. Number one, we must continue to speak the truth in love about gender distinctions. We must continue to speak the truth. Um, there's a quote, I don't know who said it, but boy, it has stuck with me. What one generation tolerates, the next generation accepts or embraces. So what we put up with, what we sweep under the rug, what we decide to not talk about, our children will have no problem with, will we'll accept it, will embrace it with, with no issues. So we've got to keep talking. We've got to keep sharing the truth, and we must share it in love. And this not only involves contradicting culture when the lines are blurred between male and female. We've talked a lot about that. There are two genders, male and female. That is the way that God designed this. Uh, we also must speak up when what it means to be male and female is inaccurately depicted or too narrowly defined. There are some stereotypes out there that we often buy into uh, that are not rooted in the Bible, but just in culture. And you kind of hear this in our language. You know, he's a man's man. He's all boy. Boys will be boys. Uh, we, we say a man's man is somebody who likes to fish and hunt and who is handy around the house. Well, if that's a man's man, then I am no man at all. Uh... I've, I've been giving this some thought. And, you know, I, I think sometimes we as the church have, have embraced these stereotypes from our culture that, that might could make our kids a bit confused. If that's what it means to be a boy or to be a man, then maybe I'm not one, is, is how the thinking would go. I mean, when I was young, I didn't, I didn't like to play rough. I, didn't, I wasn't a rough-and-tumble kind of kid. I didn't play a lot of sports. I liked to read. Some of you are, like, smirking. Um, but I think we need to communicate to our boys that doesn't make you less of a boy or less of a man. It just You just have different interests. And it's okay to be a little more sensitive or to be into different things. Um, I think about the story of Jacob and Esau, you know, from, from the Old Testament. Esau depicted a, as a really rough and hairy guy. He liked to be out in the fields. He liked to hunt. Jacob was more domicile. He liked to be at home. He liked to cook. He liked to hang out with his mama. But the Bible never questions his manhood, his masculinity. It never says he's less of a man for having different interests. And so we just need to keep our ears perked up for these unbiblical stereotypes that can sneak their way into the church and confuse our kids. And we need to communicate clearly. What, is, what, what, is it, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? We need to communicate from the Scriptures. A lot of people might say in our culture that um, 
masculinity, you know, you, you're a, a true man, that a true man is defined by his interest in, in sex. All right. That's what men are into. Uh, but I know of the most notable people on the pages of the New Testament who I believe are the manliest of men to have ever lived, are Jesus and Paul. Neither of them were ever married, therefore neither of them ever had sex. So that's not what it means to be a man, obviously. So we've got we to make sure this stuff's not sneaking in. Uh, and we must continue to speak the truth in love about gender distinctions. Second, we must show compassion, we must show patience, and we must provide guidance to those who struggle. Third, we must point to a relationship with fellow believers and with God as the ultimate fulfillment for all of our longings. That includes people involved in any kind of sinful behavior, tempted by anything. That is where your ultimate satisfaction will be found, in relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ and ultimately with God.